So I'm going to ask you to go with me to Leviticus 23. Star, is it that cold that you have a winter coat on tonight? <laughs> Are you cold? Oh, okay. Oh, you're excused. I see people walking around, you know, it's like 60 degrees, 70 degrees. They have winter coats on. I'm like, all right, stand with me for the reading of the word. Leviticus chapter 23. Uh, This is the seven feasts of Israel, part two. And um, I'm going to read to you uh, just from verse one. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. And um, we looked at four of them last week. We're going to look at the last three, and they're extremely relevant to us in our relationship with the Lord. Jesus, open up our hearts and minds, Lord God. So many, Lord God, in, in the church today, preachers even, they won't touch the Old Testament. They won't go near Leviticus. But, Lord God, there is such rich revelation in these, Lord God, words that you've given us that always point to Yeshua, who has fulfilled, Lord, the entire law. And we are praying, Lord God, enrich our lives as we look at these things tonight. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. We sit at your feet. We open up our heart to you. And in Jesus' name, we pray this. Amen. So if you look again, I'll review this with you real quick. The word feast, the word is chag in Hebrew, and essentially it means to dance. So this was a celebration. The feasts are celebrations. Convocation is a large formal gathering. So these were large gatherings and the people would celebrate. They would feast together. They would dance. They would rejoice. So as we looked at last week, there are seven feasts of Israel. And um, you have the spring feast, the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, and then the Feast of Pentecost. In fact, what we looked at, now I'll just do this with you real quick, we, you know, and I'm going to say Jesus fulfilled all these feasts. And it, really, when we looked at it last week, it's amazing. When you look at the, you know, the Passover that Jesus celebrated was on the 14th of Nisan. Yeah, that would be like our March or our April. The Feast of Unleavened Bread happened on the 15th. The Feast of First Fruits happened on the 16th. Passover, uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread, symbol of Jesus' uh, death and burial, first fruits, his resurrection, and then 50 days later, Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, you have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. So uh, again, a, a, a foreshadow of Jesus. The full feasts have not been fulfilled by the Lord yet. They are soon to be fulfilled. Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles. Again, if you by the way, you can find you can find these these charts. They're on Google. I didn't I didn't make them up, but um, again, you see how Jesus has fulfilled each of the first four, and soon to fulfill number five, number six, and number seven: trumpets, day of atonement, and tabernacles. So when we come to the the, the law, okay, again, just a, again a quick refresher. There are three divisions of the law, okay, of Moses. You have the moral law, Ten Commandments, and there are some other moral laws that are in there. Civil law, okay, that that governs the society. But then you have the ceremonial law. And the ceremonial law are essentially the seven feasts and all of the different ceremonies that go on in the tabernacle. So I just want to, again, bring you to Matthew chapter 5, 17 through 18. Jesus said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill... 
For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle, that's an accent mark, a period, will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So Jesus fulfills the law. And he fulfilled, again, the first four uh, feasts, as we looked at last week and today, again, we'll look at how he will fulfill the next three. So the Passover, how does Jesus fulfill the Passover? The, The Jewish writers of the New Testament, under the inspiration of the Spirit, they, you know, viewed the Passover being fulfilled in Jesus. He is our Passover lamb. Key thing, the unleavened bread is fulfilled in Jesus as he is the sinless, right? Leaven is a symbol of sin. Jesus had no sin. And when he was put in the grave, he didn't decay. Leaven, it's, it was used as, a, as a, a form of decay. So unleavened bread, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of First Fruits, again, was a celebration of harvest, okay? And uh, the Feast of First Fruits, Jesus is our first fruits, according to 1 Corinthians 15, through the resurrection, right? He fulfills the Feast of First Fruits through the resurrection. And again, the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, or you know what we call Pentecost, 50 days later. Again, a, a feast that celebrates harvest. And what happened at Pentecost? We see now the harvest of the souls of the nations. And we're part of that. We're part of Shavuot. We're part of the, the Feast of Weeks. So now we come to the fifth feast, and that is the Feast of Trumpets. So if you, if you look at the text in Leviticus chapter 23, 23 through 25, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest. So this is a, a special day where the people, not, not just merely the Sabbath day, okay, from Friday night to Saturday night, but um, this is a special, like this, this is you've got a day off. Hey, how would you like, you know, just the, the government just to say, you know what, everyone is off tomorrow, and you're just going to have a day of rest. And this was God saying to his people, this is going to be a, a wonderful day of rest. In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial, a blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. So it's a beautiful declaration that is given here to the, you know, the people of Israel that just commands them, okay, to have this day of rest, and they are to commemorate this day of rest. It's a day of rest. Keep that in mind. With the blowing of the trumpet. So what, what do we see in the New Testament? What is the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets? Is he blowing his trumpet? <laughs> so what, where do we see the trumpet being blown in the New Testament? Rapture, right? How many of you, let me just ask you, how many of you are not familiar with the rapture? Anybody? New to them? Okay. So in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-two, in the context of the resurrection... You have, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, that's a millisecond, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So the picture here is the dead, those who have died, right, in Christ, 
they are raised to life, incorruptible. But those who are remaining, they will be changed. And that is a, a little bit of a, again, a foreshadow of the rapture. You get a more complete picture of the rapture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 15 through 18. So it says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. We will not precede. We are not going to go before those who have died. Okay? All of those who have died in Christ through the ages. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay, so, you know, what does that mean? person dies in Christ, their soul goes to be with the Lord. They're conscious. They're aware. They know who they are. They recognize others. Like Moses and, you know, you look at that Moses and Elijah at, you know, the transfiguration. They're aware, right? There's people who get in a lot of the cult, soul sleep, the belief that it's a cultic teaching that when a believer dies, we go to sleep. And then we're awakened at the resurrection. That's not what the scripture teaches. To be out of the body is to be with the Lord. To live, right, to, to live as Christ, to die is gain. Why would it be gain if we die and we're not consciously, you know, awake? So uh, to be out of the body is to be with the Lord. So um, the dead in Christ, their bodies are regenerated, just glorified, and they meet their souls with the Lord, okay, in the air. And then it says, and the, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, caught up together. What's the word, caught up? Harpazo, good. Who said that? Harpazo. That's the Greek word. It's not rapture. So Jerome, um, the scholar, third century, translated this passage in Latin. So he translated from the Greek Aramaic into Latin, and he used the word rapture, a raptismos. Okay, that's where we get the word rapture. But harpazo, it, when, when you really, if you really want to share about the rapture, right, it should be, hey, do you know about the harpazo? But it's the harpazo. We shall be caught up together. The, the word there, it speaks about force. Forcefully, we will be forcefully taken out of this world. Bang! Right? All believers. You ever see, if you ever watch the movie um, Left Behind, you see the rapture movies, and uh, all of a sudden, right, what happens? There's people, and like, their clothes suddenly is like falling to the... They're gone. Well, the Lord's going to clothe us with, some, with something else than what we're wearing. And it happens. So it says, we are we caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with, with these words. So the, the rapture is the Lord coming for his bride. And that's, that's for those who have died, okay, and those who are still alive who will be harpazoed to him. I want to ask you a question. Here we are taken up. Right? I believe this happens either right at the beginning or before the tribulation. Tribulation, seven years of, let me tell you, it's hell on earth. Revelation chapter 6, 
through Revelation chapter 18, you get a graphic description of what is going on. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 24 said, if those days had not been shortened, there would be no life left on earth. And he's talking, he's talking about the tribulation, talking about the end times. You look at all, you know, we've talked about this. You look at all the nuclear weapons, biological weapons, chemical weapons, that people, we could kill the population of the earth 32 times over, and they'll be released with demonic fury. And um, it will be a seven-year period. Now, the church, okay, we're with the Lord. What, goes, what are we doing up there? There's two things that Scripture tells us will be going on. One, one of them is the Bema Seat of Christ. The Bema, the Bema Seat of Christ is the Judgment Seat of Christ. And to understand the Judgment Seat of Christ, we are going to stand before the Lord, and we're going to have to give an accounting. What did you do with the life I gave you? Since you've come to Christ, right? For me, it was when I was 23 years old. Um, what did you do with the time I gave you? What did you do with the money I gave you? What did you do with the gifts I gave you? And we're going we're gonna to have to give them out. Now, it's not a time of punishment. It's, it's essentially awards. You know, this beautiful picture. We're giving crowns. But they're awards. It does say that there are going to be some believers who didn't apparently use what God had given them, and they'll get in. They're going to heaven, right? But there are no rewards for them. I believe that those rewards will carry with us through eternity. And we're saved by grace, not by works. But we're saved by grace for works. God gives us work to do. How faithful are you with the work that God's given you? And so we'll be going through a time, the Bema Seat. Here's a 1 Corinthians 5.10, a, a passage for it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So being here on a night like this to pray, to be in the Word, I, I believe those, those carry certain rewards that we will be carrying with you into the next, you know, next life. Another thing that happens during that seven-year period, right? Again, we're with the Lord. I believe all hell is breaking loose on earth. We ain't going to know about it. We're not going to have any, you know, be privy to anything that's going on. What's the second thing that happens in glory? The wedding supper of the Lamb. And uh, who are we at the wedding supper of the Lamb? We're the bride. Dante, how does it feel? You've never been a bride, right? Sammy, does that, you know, the ladies can connect with that? John, right? It's a little hard. Frank, how are you feeling being a, being a bride, right? We're the bride. Who are the guests? I think all the Old Testament saints. I think all the, oh yeah, I think the angels will be there. I think all the Old Testament saints. Here's a, here's a, a passage, Revelation 19. Again, you, you, you see this, and it, it really appears in perfect harmony to the book of the Revelation. Revelation 19, 7 through 9. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. So we will be with the Lord. He takes us out. Uh, and I say this to you. I believe we're really close to this. 
I just, I feel we're closer to it now than, you know, and I, I've lived with an expectation of the Lord's return since the day that I accepted Jesus. I mean, it came, it came quickly. He's, you know, the revelation in the book that I had read when I prayed the sinner's prayer to take Jesus into my heart, it was, um, it actually talked about the Lord coming. And so I had that expectation as I read the scriptures I saw, but I think that we are really close. And Jesus says we need to be ready. Be ready. Be prepared. Be prepared for his, you know, because he could come at any moment, right? Any moment. Where do you want to be when he comes, right? I want to be preaching in the pulpit. I want to be on my knees praying to the Lord. I don't want to be sitting on the toilet. I just ask God, give me grace there. Give me grace. Could you imagine that? You're like, <laughs> that's a joke. All right. The next feast, the Feast of Atonement, Yom Kippur, verse 26 through 32. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also the tenth day of this seventh month shall be the day of atonement, and it shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It's kind of more of a, a, a feast of repentance. And you shall do no work on the same day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. And any person who does any work on the same day, that person will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout the generations in all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening. From the evening to the evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. It's kind of an unusual way of celebration, right? But it's a time where, you know, you look at like Orthodox Jewish people, it's a time of introspection. It's a time of repentance. It's a time where they confess their sins. It's a time where they get right with God. Now, for us, there is, to a certain degree, the fulfillment of atonement. We've all had our sins atoned for. And um, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but for the sins of all the world. If you really want to get a picture of the atonement, we talked about, and you've heard me say this, with the Ark of the Covenant, Right, you have the ark with the Ten Commandments. It's, it's a, it represents man's sin, falling short of the glory of God, his rebellion against God. Right, the rebellion against God's law, rebellion against God's authority, the staff. Right, God's leaders, and it's rebellion against God's provision, the manna that the people basically said were sick of it. And then you have the two holy angels, and that's the presence of God. What do you have in between? You have the atonement cover. And on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in and he would offer up the blood of the Lamb and sprinkle it on the atonement cover. But look, the cover, it, it atones, it covers our sins. Jesus is our atonement. He has covered all of our sins. And so God, God is not seeing our sins as believers who have put their trust in, you know, in Jesus. So, again, we experience a fulfillment with that. But I want to I, I show you, I believe, though, in in a greater or a wider way, this has not been completely fulfilled. And I believe it will be fulfilled for Israel. Now I want you to, to look at this. Romans chapter 11, 25 through 27. 
For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So there is a blind. We see blindness in many, many Jewish... I live in a Jewish neighborhood. Great people who live around us. We're, we're very friendly with them, but there's a blindness when it comes to Yeshua. Now, there are, I mean, we have Jewish believers in our church. There has been a, a, a true awakening in the world of Jewish people to Jesus. Even, even one of the head rabbis in Jerusalem, after he died, he left a note saying that he believed that Jesus is the Messiah. I, t- I talk with um, two Orthodox Jews. I find it's easier to share with Orthodox Jewish people than it is with, you know, kind of nominal Jewish people. But in sharing with, the, with these, Orthodox, these two Orthodox Jewish men that I've gotten, I've gotten to know, share the gospel with, I've asked them, do you believe Jesus could be Messiah? And Abraham looks at me and he says, and this is somebody, he, he studies Torah and Talmud every morning from 7 o'clock to 12 o'clock. But he's a multimillionaire. He, he owns a big insurance company. But he's in this, every, every morning, seven days a week, he studies Torah for five hours. They put us to shame. They put us to shame. And um, he says, possibly. If he came out and he said that Jesus was Messiah, though, he'd have the entire Lakewood um, <laughs> community wanting to stone him. It's almost like an Ar- Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. So until, like if you look again at the passage, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. When do the fullness of the Gentiles come in? No, I don't think so. I think it's after the tribulation. Yeah. So we, the, the, church, the, the church is not in the tribulation. People get saved to call tribulation saints. In fact, Revelation, I'll show you that in a second. Revelation 20 makes that clear. But I believe that when we come to the end of the tribulation, watch, watch what I'll share with you. So verse 26, And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will, will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So Zechariah chapter 12, I think, gives us a glimpse into this. Chapter 12, verse 10 and 11. Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. And they will look on me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as for an only son. And they will grieve bitterly for him as for the firstborn son who has died. The sorrow and mourning in Jerusalem on that day will be like the great mourning for Hadad Ramon in the valley of Megiddo. But I believe this is talking about the the glorious appearing of Jesus, not the rapture. Rapture happens at the beginning, okay, of the tribulation. The glorious appearing, okay, happens at the end of the tribulation, seven years. Well, he comes back, and I believe it's then where there, there are Jewish believers during the tribulation, the 144,000 witnesses that you see in, in Revelation chapter uh, six, uh, Revelation 7. You see them again in, in chapter 15. But I believe what, what happens here when they, the Lord comes back, Jewish people, and I'll tell you, the Jewish Orthodox community, who is so, I mean, Again, they, they, they study the scripture. They're, they're trying to live the law. <laughs> you 
they're trying, they try to keep all the rules and all the regulations. Of course, they, they fall short. But they're, they're, they're deeply religious people. You've got to admire them. You know, they're like, they're like Paul, <laughs> you know, before Paul's conversion. And I believe when Jesus is revealed to them, this is going to be such an incredible moment and in revival of Jewish. And you see, you see Jewish people who have come to know Jesus. There's something unique. There's something special. When we've, when we've gone to Israel, and some of you have gone with me on some of the trips, we visited some of the uh, Messianic synagogues in Jerusalem, in, uh, in, in uh, Tel Aviv, in Tiberias. One of my favorites is in Tiberias. And um, these, are, these are Messianic Jewish people who, I mean, they love the Lord. And it's, a, it's, an, incredibly, it's an incredibly beautiful thing. So this, this, this will happen in, in fullness. There can be a, a massive revival of Jewish people who are going to come to believe in Yeshua. Pray for the Jewish people. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for Israel. Pray for a great awakening. And again, there are these things. There was a, there was a time where Jewish people would not even think of coming to Jesus. And you know what the devil has done to Jewish people? Let me share this with you. You know, Jews were killed in the name of Jesus during the Inquisition. Hitler entered into Poland in uh, the name of Jesus, to kill the Christ killers, Hitler. The, the Christian church, even, even today, you know, you, you look at like Roman Catholicism, Roman Catholicism's theology, they feel a passage like this does not apply to Israel. This is for the church. So it's a revisionist type of theology, and they are saying that God is done with the Jewish people. He's finished with them. Anti-Semitism. And God is not done with the Jewish people. And there is going to come, there is coming a great, great revival during the tribulation and at the end of the tribulation for the Jewish people. And you look at those 144,000 witnesses. The Jehovah Witnesses say that's them. And whenever I've, I've shared with a Jehovah Witness, I've said, which tribe are you from? Because it's 12 tribes of Israel. One of the tribes is missing. Who knows what tribe is missing? Dan. Why? Some people believe the Antichrist comes out of Dan. We don't quite know why. God has left them out. Okay, the seventh feast, Sukkot, okay? The Feast of Tabernacles, Leviticus chapter 23, 33 through 44. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles. For seven days to the Lord. And on the first day there shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And on the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly, and you shall um, do no customary work on it. These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering, a grain offering, a sacrifice, and a drink offering, everything on its day, besides the Sabbaths of the Lord, besides the gifts, besides all your vows, and besides all your freewill offerings, which you give to the Lord. Also on the 15th day of the seventh month, uh, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. And on the first day, there shall be a Sabbath rest. And on the eighth day, a Sabbath rest. 
And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of the beautiful trees, branches of palm trees. Now watch this. The bows of the leafy trees and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall keep it a feast to the Lord for seven days in that year. And it shall be a statute forever in all generations. You shall celebrate it in booths. They're going to make little booths. That uh, your generation may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the children of Israel the feast of the Lord. So this was a, a feast that would, set, that would follow um, the celebration of the Day of Atonement. And um, they would essentially make these booths that they would live in for seven days. Now, you see this. We even see this in Closter. There's a little farm that actually used to be a farm. And they have the, these little booths there that they would gather. They would celebrate and they would eat. And you go into Brooklyn or you're in Jerusalem. They live in high-rises. Look at the booths. They build booths on, the, uh, you know, on their balconies. Some of them do some amazing things, too. They have antennas coming in, so they have TV in there. And, uh, but that's the feast. A time of rest, a period, again, that is a remembrance of God deliverance from Egypt as they would wander through. Now, again, when we look at these, this, essentially this timeline, you look at the rapture, Right? And you have the Feast of Trumpets. You look at the glorification, okay, and the the glorified return of the Lord. And we see, you know, we see in that the fulfillment of the feast. And then you follow. What follows? What follows the glorious appearing of Jesus? The millennium. One thousand year peace on earth. Let's look. Let's look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 through 10. He says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Satan is bound during this time. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him, that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So tribulation saints. But the rest of the dead did not live until the thousand years were finished. By the way, who are the rest of the dead? They're the unsaved. They're the unsaved. Yeah. These are people who are not saved. They're going to be there on, you know, suddenly they're going to be brought, raised up from hell as they appear before the great white throne judgment, which you have in Revelation 20 as well. But it says, this is the first resurrection, the resurrection of believers. It says, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Folks, we will have part in the first resurrection. First resurrection, what you have is the Old Testament saints. You have New Testament church saints. 
and you have tribulation saints, okay? The first resurrection is the resurrection of life, okay? The second resurrection is a resurrection of damnation, of death. And so it, it goes on here and it says, this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they are priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. That's talking about us. So you have the, the tribulation saints. They, they are raised. But we already have been raised. We're with Jesus. We will reign with him. During this 1,000-year period, you say, well, how, you know, how are we going to do that? You have a glorified body, right? Your, your, your glorified spirit, glorified mind. And just like Jesus, when he was raised, and we're not God, okay, but we have been glorified as he has been glorified. It tells us that in, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. We will reign, and we will be here during this 1,000 years. I think we're going to be able to kind of move around the way Jesus was moving around, where suddenly he could just appear, Hey, there's a, there's a great celebration in Jerusalem. I want to show you some great things that are going to be going on. Hey, let's go over there. Bang, we're, we're there. <laughs> you, know this, you know this infatuation that human beings have with the supernatural? Right? That we, we lo- that people love these superhero movies. And people, like as, as they drift into the occult, there's this infatuation with supernatural. I believe it's because we were created to have this supernatural element within us that will be fulfilled when we have been raised from the dead. So let let me go on. In verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, when a thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out and deceive the nations which are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them to battle whose number is in the sand of the, uh, as the sand of the sea. And they went up uh, on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints, of the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Why is Satan released? Because this entire generation of people during the millennial kingdom, they haven't been given the opportunity to choose. Now, they still have a sinful nature, but the devil isn't there. And the devil will tempt them, and some of them will follow him. And he does that. Now, you have a, chance, you, you have a choice between good and evil. You have a choice between, you know, between Jesus and the devil. And he gives them that up. That's very, you know, confusing to, you know, to people. Here's a, here's a diagram to what, you know, again, what this looks like. So you have, you know, before, before Jesus, you have the law. And then, you know, after Jesus was crucified, raised from the dead in Pentecost, we enter into a dis- dispensation of grace. And that, that grace extends all the way to the millennial period, the church age, right until the rapture, tribulation, seven years. And then we go into the millennial kingdom. And then after that, you go into uh, the aftermath or eternity. But there is a 1,000-year reign of Christ on earth that the scriptures expand. I'm going I'm to finish this with you tonight. I just want to share with you a couple of uh, verses. Isaiah 11, 6 through uh, 9. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, 
And a little boy will lead them. Also, the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of a cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand on a viper's nest. Harmony like the Garden of Eden again. We're back with with harmony with nature. The lions aren't eating us. (laughs) The snakes aren't biting us. And in Isaiah chapter 65, 20 through 25, no longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100 and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. They will build houses and inhabit them. Uh, They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build in another inhabit. This is peace. People coming in, stealing from you, robbing, hurting you. Uh, They will not plant and another eat. For as a lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people, and my chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands. There are trees that uh, are a thousand years old. You may have people living without death during this, this period. Isaiah chapter 2, verses uh, 2 through 4. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways. Guess who's going to be teaching in Jerusalem? Hey, let's go up to Jerusalem and sit at the Lord's feet. He's going to teach us. How awesome is that? So it goes on and says, And he will teach us his ways, and he will walk. We will, uh, we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he shall judge between the nations. There's going to, still going to be some, some judgments that happen here. Some, there could be disputes. People still have sinful natures. The devil ain't there. He's not inciting it. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. That's the end. No more war. Until Satan is released. And that's a momentary thing. But it's, it's basically peace on earth, harmony with nature. Jesus reigning from Jerusalem. And you have the, the tribulation people who come out of the tribulation and haven't been martyred. They're going to be procreating. So you're going to have this like, huge, you know, boom of, of, of births. Think of this. There's, there's no more sickness. There's no more disease. So you're going to have, like, you're going to have kids being born. Like, the, the world is going to become incredibly populated. We're going to be there. And I believe we're going to have ministries. We'll be, we'll, we'll be teaching. We'll be, I mean, think about what we have learned of the Lord, and then we're glorified. We're going to be teaching these multitudes that have come out of the tribulation and their children for a thousand years. And again, I think that is the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. So Jesus fulfills the Passover. He fulfills the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He fulfills the Feast of First Fruits. He fulfills the Feast of Pentecost. And he will soon fulfill the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And you see this all, again, carefully laid out in Leviticus chapter 23. He said the entire Old Testament, Tanakh, spoke about him. And you see all of these, again, great feasts speak about Jesus. Amen? Amen. The worship team, come up.
May God bless you with that knowledge. It says, we are blessed knowing the mysteries of God. We're going to um, sing a praise song, and then I, I'd like you to break up. And I think if there's one major thing to be praying for tonight, praying for the families. And not just the families in Oklahoma, the families in Buffalo. And be praying for their comfort. God bless you all. Let's all stand. Thank you, Pastor Frank. What a great word. As I said last week, now I don't have to go and buy a book on the feasts, which I was always curious about. It's a great deep teaching. In what we would be saying the most unexpected places, right? Leviticus.
causing our love to grow stronger for you, Lord, and those around us every passing day, Lord. We stay close to you by your side as the desire of hearts, Lord. We thank you for dwelling within us, Holy Spirit, and leading us, guiding us, drawing us to all truth, revealing all truth, showing us what you would have for us to do for you while we're here. And God, we just ask that you'd help us remember what we've learned and teach others around us, these precious truths, this great mystery revealed, Lord and fulfilled in Jesus. And God, we ask that you would allow us to continue to participate in what you're doing, Lord, day to day, moment by moment. Let us share your love and the love of Jesus with those around us. In your name we pray. Amen.